the uh, seventh time I have preached in seven days. And uh, anytime I preach that much, I will wake up preaching just out of my sleep, you know. And let me, let me tell you, my wife really loves that, you know. When I bolt out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, uh, screaming the scripture. And, uh, but anyway, I woke up uh, with speaking the scripture out and I wanted to share it to you. And I don't, I don't want to share it with you without context. So I want to give you a little bit of context of what he's talking about. And so these first few verses, they're not the message that I have for you, but they help frame the understanding of the message I have for you. So I want you to uh, follow along with me. Go to Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 25. Let me unpack this a little bit. Romans 11:25. the Apostle Paul writes to his church saying, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Now, what he's talking about there is originally when God had a covenant with people in the earth, it was only with Abraham and his seed, Abraham and his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes that eventually became the nation of Israel. Now, all through your Old Testament, the only people God was dealing with was those people. Everybody else, or Gentiles, Gentiles means circle of the nations, everybody else. If your nationality isn't Jewish, you're a Gentile. Everybody else was locked out of the covenants of God until Christ came. And when Christ came, God flung open the door and created a gap called grace where any nation, any people could be saved if they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to do this, God darkened the understanding and hardened the hearts of his original people that he had made a covenant with to create a space for all of us. So the Jews did not accept Jesus. They crucified Jesus. And I'm glad they did. Because if they would have accepted him, there would have been no reason to crucify him. But when they rejected him and crucified him, it opened that gap called grace for me to get in and for you to get in. Okay. But God had to harden them. God had to blind them in order to save us. But he still got a covenant with them. They don't see him yet. They don't believe in him yet. Not, not as a whole. But he still got a covenant with them. And that's the point Paul is making. Paul reminds them of the prophet. Basically, Paul's telling his church at Rome, just because you're accepting Christian doctrine and just because you're converting uh, some of you out of Judaism into Christianity, don't get conceited and think that just because you have the truth of Christ that you're better than God's original covenant people. Paul said, don't get beside yourself. The only reason why you know the truth is because God blinded them to reject Jesus and crucify Jesus, and that made a way for you to be saved. Don't get saved and get better and then think you're, you know, greater than somebody else. And Paul reminds them, he said, the prophecy is that the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. When he speaks, you know, to Jacob, the scripture is always referring to Israel as either Jacob or Israel. Sometimes it refers to him as both 
in the same verse. Jacob represented his past, his failures, his flaws, and his weaknesses. Israel represented what he became after the touch of God, his growth, his righteousness, his strength. But no matter how much you grow and no matter how righteous you are, every one of us still has a Jacob living in our Israel. The promise is he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And God says, and this is my covenant with them, verse 27. Romans chapter 4, or Romans chapter 11, verse 27. This is my covenant with them. Everybody read that with me. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, Paul rounds out the concept by saying this, verse 28. As far as the gospel of Jesus Christ is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. The patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God is saying, even though they don't believe the gospel, and as, as far as the gospel of Jesus goes, they're your enemies. As far as election goes, they are still loved by God because God's honoring his covenant to a dead man. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. But because God made a promise once, if God ever makes a promise, he cannot lie. If God makes a promise once, God's so faithful, he'll keep his word to a dead man. As far as the election is concerned, they are loved on the count of the patriarchs. Last verse, for God's gifts... This is the one I wanted. This is the one I woke up preaching. Hallelujah. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Well, let's, let's go on a few more verses. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient that in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. I want to draw our preaching text from verse 29, that one verse. But I didn't want to read you just one verse and you not have the fullness of it. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. I want to preach for a few minutes from the subject, the unchanging God. I say the unchanging God. God help me today. Anoint me to minister to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, hug somebody and tell them you like their ears. gifts of God and his call 
are irrevocable. The church in the past has limited this text to just talking about gifts. You know, they, they would say that, um, you know, if, for instance, if God gifted somebody to sing, you know, they could sing in church and they can go sing in the nightclub, you know. God doesn't take the gift back, you know, or just reserve the gift to when you're only using it for his purpose. The gift of God is irrevocable. He won't give a gift and give it back. But I don't want to focus on gifts with the text today. I want to focus on that one word, call. The call of God is irrevocable. God is saying, if I ever call you, I won't change my mind. He's saying the strength of the call isn't based on you. The strength of the call is based on me. I won't give you a promise and then look at your flaws and your failures and take the promise back. I don't change my mind. He said, I'm the unchanging God. Look at Romans eleven twenty nine in the message translation. If you have it upstairs in the message translation, Romans eleven twenty nine. God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. Ooh, that's good. Never canceled. Whew. Never rescinded. Ask Noah. You can't get drunk enough to cancel the call. Ask Lot. You can't fall into enough sexual immorality to cancel the call. Ask David. You can't commit adultery and then commit murder and cancel the call. Now, if you get off track with God's purpose and plan for your life, God will chasten you. He will discipline you. Daddy spanks his kids. And the discipline of God can be brutal. But he's saying, I'll discipline you down into submission before I change my call on your life. In other words, God is not like people. People will love you until... Oh, y'all don't want to talk to me this morning. I said spouses will love you until. They'll love you at your job until. They'll love you in your family sometimes until. But there's a line with people you can cross. God's not that way. If God ever called you once, if God ever loved you once, if God ever accepted you once, the love, the call, and the acceptance is not based on you. It's based on him. And you live in a changing world, and you are a changing person. But you've been loved by an unchanging God. God is unchanging in three ways. Number one, God is unchanging in his essence. Someone say, essence God's very nature and essence is eternally set it's fixed he does not have the ability to evolve into something else in James 1:17 he said every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning he doesn't change 
He doesn't turn. There's no variation to his character. God cannot grow nor decrease. He simply is. God cannot lie. And not because he's moral. God doesn't have the ability in his nature to lie. Because if God says something about something that is not what he said it is, the moment he said it about it, it would change and become what he said that it was. If God looked at a tree and said that tree is a rock, he can't tell a lie because his word is so powerful. When he said rock, the tree that was a tree before that's been a tree for 25 years would become a rock. He doesn't have the ability to lie. He is unchanging in his essence. Number two, he is unchanging in his attributes. That means that whatever God ever could do, God can do. Whatever God was, God is. If he was a miracle worker, he is a miracle worker. If he was a healer, he is a healer. If he was a provider and a deliverer, he is a provider and a deliverer. All of his attributes are unchanging. Number three, God's counsel. That is to say, his word, the word that issues forth from him, is unchanging. His word over your life will never change. And this means that his purpose for you never changes. He will not create you for a purpose and then change his mind after you've been created. I want to say that again. He will not create you with a purpose in mind. You get here created by God, and then sometime during your life, God says, no, never mind, and change the purpose. You were created by God for a purpose, and that purpose has never changed. You hadn't sinned enough to cancel that purpose. You haven't wasted enough time to cancel that purpose. That purpose is secure in God because it came out of him and he never changes. Now, you may be rerouted on the road to purpose. It's like when you plug a destination into your GPS and you take the wrong turn. The destination doesn't change because you took the wrong turn. Oh, hallelujah. I said the destination doesn't change. The little device you have will just keep rerouting you and it may take you a whole lot longer to get there. But no matter how many bad turns you take, even if you make a U-turn and start going in the opposite direction, all it means is you're a little bit further than you should be from the destination that's unchanging and set in the GPS. I want to tell somebody you're still going to get there and the purpose is still good. If you failed real bad, God sent me here to tell you the purpose is still good. If you've been living real bad, God sent me here to tell you the purpose is still good. If the enemy's been lying to you and been telling you that you are worthless and that you've made too many mistakes and that God doesn't have anything for you, the devil is a liar. The purpose is still 
good. I need you to help me preach this morning. I want you to touch three people around you. Look them dead in their eye and tell them the purpose is still good. This means if God has ever called you. Oh, yeah. I said if God has ever called you. If God has ever touched you, if God has ever ministered to you, if God has ever encouraged you, if God has ever blessed you, he would not have started it with you unless he intended on finishing it with you. And he didn't start it because of you. He started it because he decided to cast his love on you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. And you can't do anything to keep it. And you can't do anything to cancel it. It's still good. Somebody throw your head back and holler. It's still good. still good I want the devil to hear you say that it's still good been through hell been through losses disappointed other people disappointed myself but the purpose of God is still That's why you ought never allow a situation to cause you to think about taking your life. That's why you ought never to allow yourself to disappoint yourself to the point that you stop believing a good life is still possible. Because the good life is not based on you. The good life is based on the unchanging God that can take a broke down, busted, mistake making nobody and in one day raise them all the way up. I came to tell you the voices in your head have been lying to you. I don't know who I'm preaching to. Don't you take your life. Don't you get so low you can't get back up. The purpose is still good. If you believe it, you ought to give him a praise. If you believe it, you ought to give him a shout. It's his mercy. It's his grace. That means the purpose. I said the purpose. Watching me online. The purpose is still good. Not too late. It's not over. It's not canceled. It's still good. How dare you be so depressed with a purpose like that from an unchanging God sitting right over your head. There is more to you than you realize. And your mistakes, your flaws have not canceled one 
bit of it. Oh, let it minister to you, honey. Let the Holy Ghost minister to you. You may have been the only one I came in here to preach to. Let God do his work. The purpose is still. If you thought about quitting lately because you've disappointed and failed yourself, this message is a direct response from your father to your ears. God said, listen to me, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you have fallen. God said, the purpose is still good. I hadn't changed my mind. I hadn't changed my mind. You may have changed. I haven't changed my mind. And if Moses would have known this, it would have saved him 40 years of his life. In Acts chapter 7, verse 23, it says, When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people. You remember Moses, born a Hebrew, while the Hebrews were enslaved by the Egyptians. The Egyptians had made a decree that there could be no more males born to the Hebrews because they were starting to outnumber them. But instead of aborting her baby, Moses' mama made a little, little uh, basket and pitched it with tar and put that Hebrew baby in that basket and put him in the Nile River. And an Egyptian woman, the Pharaoh's daughter, incidentally, found the basket. It was, it was floating by the palace. And she picked the baby up, didn't know who it belonged to. So she adopted the baby herself. So you got an Egyptian woman whose people, the Egyptians, are enslaving and persecuting the Hebrews. So you have an oppressor deciding to adopt a slave of the race of the people she was oppressing. So he's a Hebrew by blood, but he grows up in an Egyptian house. He's a slave by blood, but he grows up in the oppressor's house. And he gets the best education. He gets the best culinary experiences. He learns all of the world history. He learns how to rule the world in the Egyptian house. But he could never get away from who he really was. So one day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people because there was something on the inside of him drawing him back to his own. Verse 24, he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. And incidentally, he sees on the outside a fight that reminds him of the fight he's going through on the inside. He sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. And he looks inside his life, and that's what he sees. 
He sees both Hebrew and Egyptian, and they're fighting on the inside. And his raising is now oppressing and mistreating his essence of nature, who he really is. And so he went to the defense of the Hebrew and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And he thought he was doing right. Moses thought it was his purpose to defend and rescue a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian. He felt so passionate about it, he ran over there and he let his passion out and killed a man for mistreating his people. And he thought that would cause the doors of the Hebrew culture to open to him. Because he was a Hebrew by blood, but he was not a Hebrew by culture. And in some environments, culture is more important than blood. If you don't have a key to the culture, you might be kin to the culture, but they won't let you in because of skin or because of kin. you got to have the key to the culture. Ooh, hallelujah. Verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. So the next day, Moses came up on two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler over us and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? When he said that, Moses ran for his life. He knew that by killing the Egyptian, he was burning the bridge to ever get back to Egypt. But now, not being accepted by his own people means he's a man without a country. Now, all this time, he's grown up believing in his heart that the purpose of God for his life was to be a deliverer for the Hebrews. And when he tries, the first time he tries, he gets the door slammed in his face. He commits capital murder. He's a fugitive in Egypt, and he has to pick up his, li his life and just run. So he flees to Midian thinking that his purpose was canceled. For 40 years, the greatest pastor of the Old Testament, that's what Jesus called Moses, the greatest pastor of the Old Testament. For 40 years, the greatest pastor of the Old Testament is in a backslidden state, certain that God's purpose for his life had been canceled by his own actions. 40 years is a long time. 40 years long enough to get married. 40 years long enough to have some kids. 40 years enough to start a business. 40 years long enough to build a life, and that's what he did in Midian. And he thought God had changed his mind about him. After all, after 40 years, Moses was successful in Midian. 
He had a job. had a family. He had acceptance. People in Midian accepted him. And he has been successful, that's true. But success is irrelevant to purpose. Oh, say that again. I said success is irrelevant to purpose. It's possible to be successful and wrong at the same time. That's why God told Joshua, if you'll follow my word, I will give you good success. If there's such a thing as good success, there's such a thing as bad success. Bad success is when you move forward and you even win in an area you're not purposed for. Derek's so talented, if I brought Katie's cast iron frying pan in here and I turned it over, Derek could, I promise you he could, he could take those drumsticks and he could play you a beat that would blow your head off on that frying pan. That's success. But it's not good success because no matter how good he makes it sound, that's not what the frying pan was purposed for. I know there's a few people out here listening to me that are sick of being used for something that you were not purposed for. In fact, that's the definition of abuse. Abnormal use. Being used for something that you were not purposed for. And that's what Moses is doing in Midian. For 40 years, he's, he's the man in Midian. But it's bad success. There's a hole in his soul that only purpose can fill. He's an outlaw to Egypt. He's an outcast to Israel. But he's the man in Midian. We tend to drift, especially men, especially men. We tend to drift in the direction of whoever claps the loudest for us. Whether God's sending us that way or not, if you'll clap for me. Especially men that have been rejected. Because rejected people crave acceptance even if they have to compromise purpose to get it. So here is Moses. Minding his own business. Tending to his flock in the witness protection program in Midian. <laughs> when suddenly the unchanging God appears to him in a burning bush. Now, this was Moses' property, you know. Moses' sheep. And the bush on Moses' property belonged to Moses. And God set his bush on fire. When you belong to God but you are living outside his purpose, he doesn't mind setting something on fire in your life to get your attention. Ooh, hallelujah. 
I said when you belong to God, but you're living outside of his purpose, to let you know the purpose is still good and to encourage you to get back in line. God don't mind setting something that belongs to you on fire just to get your attention. So God set his bush on fire. And he didn't know that it was God just because the bush was on fire. In the hot, arid climate of the Middle East, it's common for dry bushes to catch on fire. He didn't know it was God because the bush caught on fire. He knew it was God because the bush caught on fire, but it wasn't destroyed. Watch me. It didn't change. It didn't mutate. The bush alone was a message to a man who thought his purpose was canceled. Because a bush should change if you set it on fire. Unless the fire was set by the presence of an unchanging God. For just a moment, the unchanging God allowed the changing bush to take on his attributes. And the bush was on fire, but it wasn't destroyed because the fire was coming from the essence and the nature and the attributes of a God who does not change. God was trying to tell Moses, it doesn't matter how much heat is applied to your life. My purpose has never changed. It doesn't matter how much fiery trouble breaks out in your life. My purpose doesn't change. And just like this fire isn't burning up these branches, the fire of your past and your shame and your sin has not burned up my purpose for your life. I am the unchanging God. And so verse 32 of Acts chapter 7, God speaks out of the bush and he says, I am the God of your fathers. Those of you that like your Bible and like to study, this is the first time God says this in the Bible. It's very interesting. The law of first mention. I am the God of your fathers. Look at the way God introduces himself. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Number one, I am the God of your fathers. In other words, Moses, you hadn't heard a word from me in 40 years. You've been backslidden listening to the indoctrination of the idol worship that's going on in Midian. But in spite of the fact that you're a murderer, oh, hallelujah, in spite of the fact that you're an idol worshiper, in spite of the fact that you've been broken down for 40 years not living for me, I want you to know I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. In other words, I got a covenant with you that's still good because I'm being loyal to somebody else and I'm passing that loyalty to you. Most of you didn't clap on that, but that principle in theology is why you're saved. God being loyal to somebody that's not here anymore is the principle of why you're saved. 
Because Jesus ain't been walking this earth in a physical form for 2,000 years. But today, if you're a sinner and you don't know the Lord, if you reach up to heaven and you say, God, I believe Jesus is who the gospel says he is. I confess him with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. I ask him to save me and forgive me of my sins. Then God will be loyal to Jesus 2,000 years ago. The sacrifice he made 2,000 years ago. God will take that loyalty from that sacrifice and apply it over your life today regardless of how you have been living God will be loyal to his covenant and God tells Moses you're still eligible oh I don't know who that's for you're still eligible I said you're still eligible for a pre-existing covenant I'm the God of your fathers I said I'm the God of Abraham Isaac, Jacob. Now, when he said that, something about that phrase made Moses start trembling. What was it? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. First time he's introduced himself like that. Moses heard God say, that he was the God of Jacob. That's when he started shaking. I knew you were the God of Abraham and Isaac. But I didn't know you were the God of Jacob. Jacob was so broken in his character. That in order to continue walking with God, God had to change his name. From Jacob to Israel. Now, Jacob doesn't mean this in our Western culture in America today. So if your name's Jacob, don't get mad. <laughs> but in the Hebrew culture at that time, the word Jacob, it wasn't a name. It was, an, it was a descriptive word. It was an adjective to describe. And, and it was the word for a con artist. It would be the equivalent this is a little bit of a stretch, but it'll work. It would be the equivalent of you and your spouse getting pregnant, having a baby, and you naming the baby Con Artist. Con Artist Jones. In Bible days, the parents would name their children and they would aim with the name. They believed that they could sense prophetically in a future sense what the child would be and where the child would end up. And his mama must have been having a bad day. Maybe the mama and the daddy was fighting or something because when she had this baby, she said, con artist. I mean, and I, I realize it ain't no mad like when mama gets mad, but, but that's extreme, you know. And the sad part is he lived up to it. Jacob was one of the most deceptive, subversive, supplanting, 
manipulative people in the Bible. His very name brought shame to his family. The mention of his name stained the family name. You ever had a family member that you were ashamed had your same last name? You ain't got to respond on that one, I know. Like sometimes you just want to shout, I can't believe you got the last name sides. I was going to tell a story, but I won't. He brought shame to the family. But God meets with him and wrestles with him and knocks his hip out of joint and changes his name and says, you're not going to walk in this brokenness and this mess anymore. You're not going to walk in this sin and this shame and this junk anymore. If you're going to walk with me, I want to tell you, you're going to be a prince with God. You're going to rise up. You're going to mature. You're going to get better. You're going to begin to walk with righteousness. You're going to learn some good business dealings. You're going to keep your word. You're going to be a good man. You're going to leave the past behind. So your name is, God said this, not Jacob, your name is, God said your name is no longer, listen to God, God said your name is no longer Jacob, your name is Israel. But then, when God introduces himself to Moses, he doesn't say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Moses heard God say that God was claiming Jacob, what God was saying is, I'm God, even over the parts of you that haven't changed. I'm God, even over the parts of you that haven't matured. I'm God, even over the parts of you that haven't gotten better. I'm God, even over the parts of you that knew to do better, but you did bad anyway. I'm God over the righteous parts of you. And I'm God over the shameful parts of you. I am the God of your future, but I'm not ashamed to be the God of your past. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when he heard that, he started shaking because he had no idea that God would own even the parts of him that were unfaithful. Even the parts of him that had a murder on his record. Even the parts of him that had been worshiping idols. Even the parts of him that he never wanted to reveal to anyone else. And the truth be told we're all living with Jacob and Israel inside the same person at the same time. Jacob represents our sinful flesh, our desires to do wrong, and our past and our flaws. Israel represents that part of us that we can't deny that is spiritual and has a desire to know God and do things right. But the problem is, just because you get the Israel doesn't mean you get rid of the Jacob. 
See, this is what almost cost me my faith. When I was growing up and we'd go to all these conferences and I'd hear all these big preachers and read all these spiritual books and, and get all this information, I used to think the preachers were holy. I used to think if you got saved and it was real. You didn't even want to do wrong anymore. You know? That if you got saved and it was real, you, you didn't even have no temptations. All the cuss words fell out of your vocabulary. And because I still notice flaws in myself, their lies and refusal to be transparent made me question God and my salvation. Because they didn't tell you, just because you get the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you lose the flesh. Just because you get God doesn't mean you stop your fight with Satan. Just because you get the Israel doesn't mean you cancel the Jacob. You have to live in this world and be both. You have to live the Christian life learning how to say yes to Israel and no to Jacob. But the desire, the nature of Jacob, it never leaves. So Jacob represents the shameful part. But when we come to church... And when we pray and when we decide to get spiritual and we get around church people, who do we always introduce ourselves as? Hi, I'm Israel. Like Jacob ain't even down in there. Hi. Like I don't have any Jacob tendencies. Hi. Praise the Lord. I'm Israel. And I would respect you more if you would say, I'm Israel and Jacob. I would respect you more if you didn't lie about who you really were. And if you tried to present yourself like you didn't have any flaws. And if you weren't so judgmental of other people just because their flaw went public and your flaw is still private. I would respect you more if you said, I'm Israel and But we try to present the good to God and the good to each other. But God flips the script and says, I want to be known. I want to attach this to my name. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and... And Moses starts shaking all over. Because that means if Jacob's flaws didn't cancel his purpose, then Moses' flaws have not canceled his. 
And in that moment when he realized the purpose is still good. Oh my God, the purpose is still good. I bet he wished somebody would have been living back then that could have saved him 40 years. How many years have you been walking around believing the lie that the purpose was canceled? How many days have you lost in fear and shame and condemnation thinking that because of something you did that the purpose was canceled when you're dealing with an unchanging God. Verse 33. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. The ground you're standing on is not holy because you're here. The ground you're standing on is holy because an unchangeable God looked down at a flawed human being and decided that the purpose was still good. The covenant is still good. The calling is still good. And it's the calling, hallelujah, that makes wherever you go holy ground. It's the calling that makes a flawed human being an anointed instrument of God. It is the calling. You said it was prayer. You said it was fasting. And you said that because you're ignorant of how God works. It's not fasting that anoints you. Because if you don't have a calling, you can fast until you dry up and die. If you don't have a calling, you will never be anointed. Because the anointing is to empower you to complete the call. ground you're standing on. It's holy. What's holy mean anyway? Set apart. Sacred. Different. Special. Why are you still living like you're normal? Why are you still living like you don't know that you have a father who loves you and who created you and who has a purpose for your life and no matter what has happened on the road you're walking that purpose is still good because the one who gave it is an unchanging God So Moses goes back at the age of 80 years old to start what he could have started when he was 40. Now God's so faithful, he'll keep you alive long as he has to. 
I felt so bad when I read that because I don't know about you, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 80. I don't want to be climbing mountains and fighting battles and slaying giants. I don't want to be preaching seven times in seven days. Not when I'm 80. If it's possible to walk in purpose now, I'd like to do it. And I don't know how you value your time. But if it's possible for you to walk in purpose now, I'd like for you to do it. I'd like for you to lay aside every weight and every burden. I would like for you to lay aside all of the limiting beliefs and the condemnation that's been keeping you from chasing after the purpose God planned for your life. Because you've got a God of mercy who loved you so much, he didn't even withhold his own son's blood to save you and secure you and redeem you and not just your soul, your purpose. And today he's saying to you for the last time, it's still good. Oh, you can give him a praise if you want. come if you're in here and you need prayer prayer for your purpose if you're in here you got some doubts you're in here you got some condemnation you got some fear you got some shame you're in here and you're just sick and tired of wasting time we want to pray for you today. Now I want to ask you, wherever you are, if you feel something in those seats that's drawing you towards this front, come. Come. We want to pray for you. We want to believe God with you. We want it to be sealed in your spirit and in your heart that the purpose is still good. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on in close. Come on. Come on. Come on, lift up your hands in the congregation. Come on, lift up your hands all over the house. Just begin to worship the Lord. You thought I was worth saving. You came and saved my life. You thought I was worth keeping. 